welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Knowing. Hi, Allison. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. I feel a little introspective today, but it's that's a really so exciting place to be. <laughs> sometimes yeah. it can be as exciting to be introspective. Sometimes not yes. particularly. So I I feel like it's like in this kind of very solitary year, it's just like oh, there like you can always just like go deeper in that introspection. It's like this never ending internal dialogue totally. where it's like man i thought i was already in a really introspective place and then it's like <laughs> something peeks out like nope there's still more here there you know and and i i always wish i suppose for other people for for myself too when i forget this teaching or this state of being that we can find joy in that great mystery of our inner world you know that that it doesn't have to be, I mean, in our, in our sort of linear Western mental framework, we, we think, oh, I need to get to the place where I'm like done. I've sorted out my inner world. I've, you know, figured out all my neuroses and healed all the things that need to be healed, you know. And, and so when there's more that pops up, we are inherently, you know, disappointed or we think, oh, my God, like more to do, right? Mm-hmm. And yet I, I do... I, I know and, and really trust in and, and just love the sensation of knowing that this is why we're here is a lifetime of uncovering who we are more fully, you know, and when we can learn to relate to that, you know, process of, wow, something's sort of rearing its head, you know, and, and we can train ourselves to actually go, yay, like this is exciting. There's there's something, some new layer of my own being that I get to relate consciously to, you know, and it it can be a really beautiful process. Of course, when what rears its head is really not particularly pleasant, you know, it's, it's not usually the most joyful process. But even right. with those kind of experiences, you know, we can learn to train our mind to be receptive first, you know, rather than judgmental first or resistant first. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the things I'm trying to put into practice the most of kind of what we chat about is... Um, stopping the knee-jerk reaction to turn away from something right? and learning how to feel it because I feel like in a lot of ways it's just kind of like uh, soothe, distract, you know, mm-hmm. what's something outside of me that will take this emotion and either pacify it or or solve it. Um, and so it's like, okay, if I can, if I can take just like one moment of pumping the brakes and mm-hmm. saying like, what does it actually feel like to, f- to feel this? I feel that's the challenge is to like really get into a new rhythm of like, okay, this is present and I don't have to do anything about it. And it's super uncomfortable. <sighs> and now what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now well, and that, yeah. I mean, we we're, were just chatting about before we started recording and just sort of tossing out ideas of what we were wanting to explore for this episode, you know, and I have been spending a lot of time, I think I always, for the last 15 years, have spent a lot of time thinking about this question of like, what is healing 
You know, how does healing show up in the world? What form does medicine take? You know, what is the intention of medicine? How do we relate to medicine? You know, like what do we, what do we as individuals, as human beings think is medicine, right? And I mean, what you mentioned so beautifully there is, you know, that we think that medicine is symptomatic management. It's, it's the mitigation of uncomfortable physical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual experiences, right? So something comes up, you don't want to feel it, or it's uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, in, in a sort of qualitative way, it's not actually any different whether we reach for a herb to get rid of that emotion or that feeling or sensation, or we reach for a Ativan, or we reach for a joint, or, you know, they, they're still, it's the relationship to that sensation that is the most important. And I suppose I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, <laughs> taking heroin and, and taking a herb to deal with our pain are the same thing, <laughs> but it's more this underlying sort of relationship with those sensations that are coming up, right? And and are we thinking of them as the problem, or are we thinking them of them as the teacher, Right, and this is this is so fundamental to knowing. Is this um, very conscious engagement with having a trust in the body, in you know physical sensations, in you know organ pain, muscle pain, whatever that it is actually. It's not punishing us. It's not random. It's not um, you know some sort of like erroneous thing that's just cropped up for no reason. It is something that is uh, has great wisdom within it, great intelligence, and can we learn to re- relearn to speak the language of the body, right? And that that requires um, uh, sort of an energy of, of receptivity, as I mentioned, you know, first of going, okay, I don't speak this language, you know, uh, let me sit with it and learn this language. I mean, if you met someone from another country and they tried to talk to you and you immediately start yelling at them and telling them that they need to speak English, you know, like you're never actually going to have a good relationship there. And we do that with our body, right? We say, mm-hmm. no, I have an idea how the body's supposed to function and it's not this, right? And that's, I think a lot of the time what we think of as as medicine, right, is like getting the body to be what we want it to be. And mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I feel like the thing that I think about immediately because I mean I'm lucky enough that I'm not dealing with like physical pain and so it's like I I just notice that I feel in my heart so I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. like an actual physical thing or an energetic thing or like an energetic thing that's becoming a physical thing but it's like you know it's just there there is a lot of sadness Um, period and then coupled with everything happening this year. And I don't know, it's just like this kind of like constant ache and it does feel in a weird way eternal, <laughs> which I don't mean mm. to seem like a, like a doom and gloom. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, <laughs> how, how do you listen to this thing that is so pervasive in a weird way? Mm-hmm. Like, is it just mm-hmm. a part of the human experience? Well, and that's such an interesting question and such a I mean a huge topic I think in in you know how we are going to relate to our sadness and and a very important one as you mentioned it's sort of like this turning of of human existence that 
as I've mentioned countless times, you know, we have been existing, for better or worse, in a society that is sadness averse, right? This is why we have the levels of depression we have. It's not because, because you know, people all need serotonin reuptake inhibitors, you know, like we we are not allowed to express our sadness and so we sh- we stuff it down and then of course it's going to pop up at inopportune moments in our life or just eventually kind of overtake us right but i mean this is the basis of colonial society is is not dealing with sadness and we have a backlog of our ancestral sadness of the sadness of the earth of the the sadness of just human existence of of how we have operated as a collective on this planet, right? And it is huge. It's it's a, a an enormous amount of pain that is stored in all of us, right? That I mean, this is the the so called reckoning of that. We don't get to run away from it anymore, right? But what that mm-hmm. comes in contact with, or sort of butts up against, I think is uh, an unconscious or subconscious programming in all of us within this civilization that we are trained in this sadness of our system to think that once you go into sadness, you're never going to come out. And when you say that it feels eternal, there's like this kind of, oh my God, I can't possibly handle this energy, you know, because it's so big. It's so overwhelming. It'll never end if I go into it, right? And that's, in a sense, I mean, that is the, the subconscious relationship that we have had to sadness or that our ancestors, you know, have had to had to sad, had to have with sadness just because of the immensity of the the trauma that they might have experienced, right? They they couldn't deal with all that sadness at that time. Mm-hmm. And but we I think in in cultivating or at least having the intention to cultivate a, a more meaningful relationship with our emotions, with our bodies, you know, that are the vehicle of our emotion. When we start dipping our toe in the sadness, you know, we realize that it is not a never-ending dark hole. You know, mm-hmm. it is actually the gateway to our joy. And when we start going into it a little bit more and more and more, we realize that what we will feel is the sadness, yes, and then we will feel the reclamation of our optimism, of our mm-hmm. uh, just curiosity, of our wonder, of our, our sense of just amazement at being a human being, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, is lost. We cut off from that when we cut off from the sadness. And so it stops feeling like, you know, this dark hole, we have to go in and sit in sadness and blah, 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 because mm-hmm. there's there's all these other beautiful gifts that come back with it, right? And and eventually, I mean, I, I do think that we reclaim the sacred quality of sadness. We reclaim the sacred quality of all our emotions through these kinds of um, reconnection with them. You know, but, mm-hmm. and then we reclaim that sense of being able to trust them, you know, that when they come up, we don't have to say, nope, this isn't the right time, see you later, like, or I don't want to deal with this or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. that hit home? It does. I, I'm curious, you know, in terms of the how. I know you mm. mentioned focusing and meditation. Um mm-hmm. But it's like really just this sense of because this is so new culturally, how do we begin where it's like, okay, I'm ready to to do the thing. What's the first step? Right. I mean, that's definitely going to be unique for each person. But maybe we can lay mm-hmm. out some like kind of, 
I mean, basic steps that I take with people in order to get them ready for this. Because it's a it's a slog, you know, like the first part of it. Yeah, of course we don't want to go into these things. And, and I mean, uh, in many ways, like look at what a person who is intending to move into this new relationship with their body and their emotions and, and you know, reconceptualize what healing and medicine is going to be for them. They're up against the entire Western medical system that says healing is the mitigation of symptoms you know it's it's the removal right. of these places of discomfort like that's a that's a behemoth to be up against you know and it's programmed into us for better or worse right and so yeah and and of course you know human beings have these two opposing and very strong drives we have one drive to avoid pain that's it's huge it's our you know what i would call our base mammalian mammalian drive you know is that we want to go towards pleasure and away from pain like that's that's obvious that makes a lot of sense right the second drive that we have though which makes us human is our drive for meaning and our drive for purpose right mammals don't have that we are unique in having that and those are at odds with each other like when you really think about it you know as you know Allison is like this is the the painfulest I maybe the most painful path I think somebody can take on because it forces us to reckon with things we don't just pretend that things aren't there and, you know, continue on our sort of merry way and ignore stuff, right? It, it really requires a quality of warriorship, which is this willingness to do what is difficult, not what is expedient or easy, right? Do what is meaningful. But we are, you know, kind of at odds with each other We're almost, or with ourselves. We're almost in a war, a combat with our own inner drives, you know? And so I think that the first steps in when I'm working with people have to be really starting to support them on a physical level, making sure that they are as uh, kind of informed or inf uh, supported, I suppose, it, as can be in terms of their hydration. Okay, I mean, we talked about the importance of this. Like, if you are dehydrated, your body is already in a chronic state of stress, and you are not going to be able to take on more stress, which is ultimately a healing journey, right? It is stressful at first, and stressful mm -hmm. for a lot of it, right? So we have to actually be ready for doing this work, you know, like we're going to battle in a sense, right? So hydration is super important. I'll often, you know, really look at people's diet and make sure that they are not having super aberrant, you know, blood sugar pour, or, uh, patterns. So their blood sugar's crashing mid-morning or whatever because they're eating too many carbohydrates. Like, that's really important. That is stress. I mean, I, people have chronic anxiety just because their blood sugar is all over the place and they don't realize it, right? So doing that, maybe working for, with some adaptogenic herbs to make sure that their body feels supported, to, to nourish their hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, you know, make sure that their inner sort of neurological system feels ready for taking on another stressor. Um, I work with homeopathics a lot, so I will often encourage people to take some homeopathics that have a, a kind of provocative quality in a sense to our suppressed or unprocessed emotional uh, wounds. Um, Nature muriaticum is one that I use a lot with people, but depending on sort of their emotional state, whether, you know, they may have 
blocked anger that we need to bring up, and that's going to be a different remedy, or blocked sadness, or blocked um, grief. You know, it, it's a little different for each person, but I'll often employ some of those just to help sort of stimulate the process, right? It's it's like telling the body, okay, it's time to, to bring these things up to the surface and start a kind of energetic cleansing, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, focusing practice is this willingness to be with the body, to be curious, to to bring the mind to that, you know, appropriate position that it should occupy, which is the receiver of the intelligence emerging out of the body, not the one, you know, emerging or offering this emergent intelligence or what it thinks is intelligence. That's what the brain's doing all the time is telling us these stories and saying, this is, this is true. But its job really is to be taking that intelligence, understanding it from the body, right? But I think that, you know, maybe this is sometimes the hardest thing, I think, for people, Alison, is that alongside the stress of doing this, I think we have to reclaim the joy of being in our bodies. And, you know, that's a hard one because we have so many bizarre, you know, I really think that they're quite bizarre, sort of social constructs around bodies and joy and you know a lot of uh, you know sort of quality of shame emerging out of sexuality out of you know the body as a tool for ecstatic experience or or you know like just total joy right we were scared of that and I think that it's important to encourage people to try to find something that brings them into that relationship with their body at the same time as they're doing that other hard work of saying, okay, I'm going to dredge up these things I don't want to feel, right? If we're just dredging, nobody wants to go down that path. You know, it's like, why bother, right? It's it's Mm -hmm. just exhausting. So things like ecstatic dance, yoga, uh, TRE, you know, things that bring us into a relationship with our body where we go, whoa, this is awesome. It's It feels good to be in this body too, right? Mm-hmm. Does that all make sense? It does. I, I feel like especially that kind of um, not forgetting the joy because there is something, I mean, there is also something kind of where I think that we can get to, to get caught is this kind of like romanticizing this, like everything's hard. Do you know mm. what I mean? That it's like, I'm doing the work. I'm oh, showing okay. up in heat. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and I think that especially, I mean, even just in a collective sense that it's like a lot of the jokes that people are sharing is just like how they're deteriorating. And it's like, that stuff is funny mm. to read. And you know what I mm-hmm. mean? But I think that there is a there is a sense of like also taking it very seriously. And I feel like that's mm. always a good reminder is that it's like, and, and also, you know, where can we kind of laugh at how ridiculous it can be too. Totally. I mean that, yes. I I mean, what I'm hearing is martyrdom, right? Like this sense of like, I am doing this and I am so like committed to this and here I'm going to, you know, destroy myself to get to wherever I think I'm supposed to be getting, whether that is, you know, a place in my life or a relationship with my body or whatever, right? And we can take it far too seriously. And I mean, this uh, is a wonderful teacher, his name's Dr. Michael Yellowbird. I don't know if I've referenced him before. He's, he's the dean of social work at the University of um, Manitoba. And he is a Rikara. And he's just, he's such a cool guy. And he teaches um, what he calls indigenous de- or, uh, 
decolonization, neurodecolonization. So it's like mm-hmm. getting colonial thought forms out of your, your mind and your body and stuff. And um, he gave a talk for one of the organizations that I work for in the spring. And he said, you know, the most important thing that we cannot forget on our healing journey is to laugh and to have joy. And, and you know, he's like indigenous ways of healing we're dancing like you and sometimes you're crying while you're dancing and sometimes you're furious and sometimes, you know, like, but it, it it's the joy and the ecstasy and the humor that becomes the effective vehicle to to help those heavier, darker, you know, energies come to the surface. Because, yeah, I mean, if we go in there with our sort of metaphorical scalpel and go, I'm cutting you out, you know, like right. you're coming with me. I mean, those right. things are going to hold on with tooth and nail and. I mean, lo and behold, we're going to come out on the other side of that so-called healing practice being really judgmental and really rigid and really hard on ourselves and other people, you know. And we are not, mm. I don't think we are not moving into the the true state of a human being, which is is like a baby, you know. I mean, it's mm. they're, they're, they're goofy. They think everything's hilarious, you know, and, and they are... Right engaged and curious and and in awe at being in their bodies you know and they move their bodies in a way that feels good for them and and can we reclaim that as human beings i am absolutely certain we can but you're totally right in saying that like remembering that it has to be almost offset you know and and i mean we don't want to bring humor in just to lighten things all the time you know like sometimes we do need to sit in the heaviness of things but it's about really recognizing, like, when are we moving into that kind of quality of martyrdom and dogmatism? We'll usually be able to tell when that's happening because we're judging other people. Almost mm-hmm. always, you know, that's when we are taking our own process so seriously. And then we're like, you know, other people need to be taking their process seriously, right? That's a clue that it's like, okay, it's time for me to dance. It's time for me to sing. It's time for me to, you know, step into some sort of joyful practice or, or laugh about things, you know, so that I can reclaim that part of my own humanity too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have to actively seek that out now more so than ever because we don't have as much access to community where it's yeah. like, you know, even just being able to go to like a dinner party or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just, and it's, and some of it is kind of like, oh, I distracted myself in a lot of ways, but in, in some mm-hmm. ways it wasn't just distraction. It was that kind mm-hmm. of like gathering, which we would have mm-hmm. done, you know, our ancestors would have done that. It's like, we party together. We laugh and tell jokes and tell <laughs> totally. stories. And totally. that's, a, yeah. that's part. So it's like, you know, when you're, when your joy can no longer really come from like a in-person communal place, yeah. you know, you, you have to try harder in your apartment by yourself. Yeah. Well, and, and, and search for different avenues of it. You know, I, and and this is certainly not immediately accessible for people all the time because we've been conditioned out of this. But the other morning, I mean, I leave my house at about 7.15 in the morning. It's usually quite dark. And I drive to only, I go into town from some contract work that I do twice a week. And I was driving through this uh, reservation um, called Hatsuth that I work for. And the sun was coming up. And I was looking at the sun and it was just like the most beautiful sort of spattering of pink clouds and like this orange light and there's snow and like it just it was so beautiful 
And I just started singing. And I like I I've never had that kind of experience where and it was like I wasn't singing words. I just couldn't not sing. Like it was it was like my body was like this is what you do in response to this beauty is you give something back to it or you you tell it how much you love it. And I felt like I was I was I mean I've done this with plants a lot, but I'd never done it in that sort of circumstance, you know, of like really recognizing what my body wanted to say about this situation, you know, and it was, it was, mm-hmm. I sang the whole way to the office, you know, and, and saying with the sun, I felt like I was in community with the sun. And I think that, yeah, I mean, we don't get to be in community with people right now, but mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of New York city, you have the sun, there are trees, there are birds. You can open your window if you can, you know, sing to the birds, talk to them and, and say, you are my community. Right. I mean, Mm-hmm. Because this over over reliance on human relationship at the cost of the relationship we form with the entire phenomenological world, the rest of the world, with the water, with the trees, you know, I mean, this is why, as I've said before, I think shamanic practice is so important right now is that it is not just reconnection with humans that needs to happen in order for us to heal and create a new civilization. It's reconnection with all sentient beings, you know, the the conscious universe with the minerals, with the the water, and and to the sacredness of our existence here, right? And we can mm-hmm. do that right now. We totally mm-hmm. can do that. And I mean, we do that through connecting with our own bodies, right? And I think the absence of community is forcing us as you were saying at the beginning, you know, it's like, oh my God, there's more of my shit, right? It's, we are being squeezed in a sense, you know, to say, you don't get to get away from this anymore. And this is, it's not punishment. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not trying to, you know, make us hurt. It's actually saying, please attend to these pains so that new society, new new ways of being in the world can, can emerge out of this possibly. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think that the joy part is super important because if we come out on the other side of this and we're like, okay, we're more rigid and more, you know, intense and more critical, you know, which I see a lot right now. I mean, look at social media. It's just a bunch of people criticizing other people. It's literally mm-hmm. all it is right now. And it's, it's scary. Like th- and that's people afraid of being criticized. Like, I think that there totally. is a lot of, of performative stuff happening because yeah. it's like, oh, well, if I'm not criticizing, I'm getting criticized. It's like criticism right. is happening. Which end are right. you going to be on? Right. You know what I mean? How about no end? No, <laughs> like that's my, no end. I, I mean, that. that's my disengagement. Totally, you know, but I, I don't even think of it as opting out so much as I think of it as opting into another system. I want mm-hmm. to be in this system where I am looking at the sun and being so amazed at what is in this world, right? And I mean, I, I, as you know about me, like I'm not avoidance of things. I, I'm politically engaged. I want to be involved. I, I serve communities that I care deeply about, but I refuse to play a game in a sense that is based on judgment and criticism. You know, like that's not, it's, it's not good for other people. It's not good for me. And it's not going to contribute to, you know, a, a so-called enlightened society if we are, you know, intending to move to that, right? And mm-hmm. what would, right? I do think that dancing does. Even in the security mm-hmm. and isolation of my own home, I think that I make an impact in the world by being deeply joyful. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that that touches on, 
one of the earlier things you said, which is, is um, I believe I'm not misquoting you, but it's like this kind of purpose, this, you know, who, yeah. who am I in the world? And I think that in some ways it is like, okay, I'm not going to go down the common path. I'm going to choose something alternative to that. But I think that that mm-hmm. does trigger that part of us that it's like, oh, FOMO, it'll move on without me. Mm-hmm. What, what Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's acknowledging mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. me dancing in my apartment actually is rippling out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Even if mm-hmm. no one knows you- about it. The dreaded, no one knows about the good stuff I'm doing. But that, you know, there's, is our meaning, you know, are we orienting things or how should I say this? Are we orienting our choices and what we do in the world and and even what we conceptualize as, as things that have meaning as based on how other people receive and interact with them? or based on our own impeccability, right? And I mean, this is, again, this primary teaching in shamanic practice that I think is so essential right now. This is, I think, the only way that we're ever going to get to a healthy and and quasi-functional relationship with social media is if each person uses it as a tool, right? It, It is a wonderful tool. It's an incredible tool. But what we're not using it as a tool it's using us as you know pawns basically right. and manipulating these kind of lower urges of the human psyche right but if we're saying you know how i derive meaning in the world is that when i lie down in bed at night i can say i did everything that i needed to do right then mm-hmm. we don't we stop worrying so much about what other people think right i mean mm-hmm. you know as don miguel ruiz said in the the for agreements, you know, we aspire to not taking things personally. And what that really is, I mean, it's a little bit terrifying, you know, to think about is um, is that we are pulling our self-definition into us. We are literally claiming it from the world and saying, I decide whether I have worth and value, right? And it's not, it can't be done flippantly. It cannot be done without great integrity. We don't get to just say like, yeah, I'm a great person and fuck you guys, you know, like, which I think a lot of the time we tend to want to do, right? Mm -hmm. But it really is, I mean, as we talked about in in a previous episode, the previous episode about being an adult, you know, it's this really honest um, assessment of ourselves and how we're showing up in the world and saying, do I feel good about this? And and FOMO can't exist in that, you know, where we go, oh, right. I don't know, that's what other people are doing. I'm not in charge of other people. I am mm-hmm. really responsible for my own way of being in the world. And, and I think people who have that sort of um, mental and, and, and a spiritual grounding, it is a spiritual grounding in themselves, can have a relationship with social media that's like, yeah, whatever, you know, you get, it's cool. You get to talk to other people, but you're not invested. It doesn't provoke you emotionally, you know, to go, oh my God, this life, this person's life is so much better. Or, oh, I hate this person for doing this. You know, there is Mm -hmm. a a sense of distance that I think is really um, kind, quite honestly, kind to yourself and kind to other people where you, you let them have their own stuff, you know, does that seem fair? It does. I feel like, you know, the, it starts really young. Like, I mean, it starts even before social media. It's, it's like we're, our society is built on a reward system that it's like, you're a good girl or boy. If you do this, you're a bad girl or boy, if you do that. So it, I, I think that the new challenge is really just saying, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's new. I mean, certainly for me, and I think long before social media was a thing, it's this kind of like we're we're built to seek approval. Oh, and I mean, you know, I'm I'm not negating that that is a biological fact, Allison, and especially during, you know, the years of our adolescence, like our brain is entirely wired to perceiving feedback from other people because, you know, on a on a biological level, we're we're seeking to procreate, you know, hopefully not too young, but like, you know, if you look at the history of humanity, like we were having babies at like 12 years old, right? So our brain became completely oriented towards the outside world and completely oriented towards other people's perceptions, other people's, you know, our, our sense of belonging with other people, our sense of um, being in an in-group or whatever, right? Because that that's safety in an evolutionary sense, right? If you don't belong, something mm-hmm. is definitely going to eat you, right? And so right. There, that is coded into us, absolutely, you know. But the challenge is, is that when the brain fully matures or is supposed to fully mature around the age of 22 to 23 or so, and the prefrontal cortex is fully online, in an ideal circumstance, you know, the human being moves out of that sense of how do I please those around me, you know, and they they have a hopefully a solid sense of their belonging, right? So they can kind of release emphasis on that and they can go into what is, what am I? Who am I? What am I doing with my life? You know, how do I show up? And that's going to be free from the impositions of other people's value systems or judgments or whatever, right? But the problem is what social media does, and I mean, the way that our society and the way that our education system functions is that it does not prepare people for, um, for being able to to move into themselves. They, we, we don't inform people of, of self-reflective tools and the importance of getting to know oneself, right? We still exist in this very materialistic society that it it's, it's all about living outside, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and being a person in the world that other people are looking at, right? We, we haven't really grown up where our brains, we're not using our full capacities on a sort of neurological level, right, to... Um, the way that the human being was actually designed, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's a failure of our of our culture, of our civilization. Not one that cannot be undone, though. You know, by actually saying, okay, well, what's required in those early years? You know, and what's required in adolescence, and what's required, you know, in your twenties, in order to help a person actually reach full actualization, you know, a, a mature mm-hmm. experience of themselves. But social media totally undermines that, right? Especially if you're exposed mm-hmm. to it really, really early because your brain is continuously, you know, wrapped into that system of I don't belong because we're not designed to belong to 7 billion people. We're designed to belong right. to 60 people, maybe, maybe 20 people, right? And now these poor teenagers are trying to belong to the entire world and get approval mm-hmm. from the entire world. And that's never going to happen. And so because they don't get that sense of security, they're looking for it all the time, right? And so then they can mm-hmm. never mature. They can't actually step into themselves because they don't have that sense of ultimate uh, belonging, right? Mm-hmm. So so when you talk about spiritual warriorship and you know shamanic practice, do you feel that that is a means to self-actualization or do you feel that the spiritual warrior is actualized? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, 
I guess I think of spiritual warriorship, how do I phrase this, as the set of tools, the set of psychological constructs, a set of values, set of beliefs that inform a way of being in the world. I think that through the application and engagement with those tools and, and perspectives, that we become more and more aware of who we are and we become more and more capable of expressing ourselves honestly and uh, fluidly, you know, in the world. And so it's almost like, I, I mean, an odd thing I think that happens when, when you dedicate yourself to the practices and that way of being in the world, you kind of stop thinking about you, you stop thinking about mm -hmm. when am I going to get to the place when I'm happy and I'm like doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. You know, there is no end goal anymore. You know, with spiritual worship, it is this moment. Am I showing up as best as I possibly can? And the kind of beautiful, organic, um, it's like this, you know, it's a weird thing to even describe, but it's 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 like sliding into yourself, you know, like you 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 literally come into your own full expression because you no longer are seeking that all the time. You're not trying to go, who am I going to be? Where am I going? You know, you are just doing your aligned practices day to day and and you become you more fully. And I mean, that is a constant unfolding though, you know, like self-actualized, the state of self-actualization is not a static state. It's not like you get there and then like every day of your life, you're in a perfect state of flow and everything's awesome. And, you know, you never have any problems or anything. Right. And I think that again, like the, the interesting sort of thing that happens is you stop thinking about yourself along the path because part of spiritual worship is being in service and being, you know, as as dedicated to the well-being of the world as possible, right? And as as present to other people. And so, yeah, your your self-actualization, it, it doesn't matter so much eventually, which is a, a funny thing. You know, I think it can be a kind of ego hook to get people on the path. It's like, hey, you're going to find yourself. Like, come on this <laughs> right. path. It's going to be great. Right. You're going to make a million dollars, you know, like, <laughs> but pretty short into the path and especially in the shamanic tradition you know um we find that thinking about ourselves is the greatest hindrance to being what we want to be in the world it's called self-importance in the shamanic tradition you know is that thinking about us all the time actually prevents us from unfolding into who we are meant to be that's the crazy mm -hmm. paradox of it is that if we think too much about me and self-actualizing, you know, then we lose, we'll lose uh, any capacity to ever step into that, right? Um, right? And so that emphasis on the tools and the practices and how we show up has to, has to take over at some point, right? Or we run the risk, as I mentioned before, of going into spiritual materialism where we are using our spiritual practice to prop up our ego and puff ourselves up and make us think that we're super important. And though there's a lot of people in our world who are doing that right now, you know, and a lot of spiritual teachers and stuff who it's about their image and about what they have and, you know, the millions they're making every year. And, and I mean, all the power right. to them. That's their path, but that's not this path at all. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we want to forget the self, in a sense. Right. I think that that, that was, I said it was, like I'm over it. <laughs> that was the most challenging <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> I'm 
long past that. But I feel like when I was at the lowest of low, um, you told me to walk as if each footstep were a blessing to the earth. And when I feel really down, I still do that. Mm. And I think that mm-hmm. initially blessing and gratitude felt so confusing to me because I was in this place of like, but I need to feel better first so that I can have something to mm-hmm. give. Like there's this whole, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't give from an empty cup thing, which I think is mm-hmm. true in a lot of ways, like in the right context, that's true. But I think that on this path, I think, think that it's it's just kind of like how do you give first and i think mm-hmm. that that has been the the scariest part for me that it's like you know to to go to the place where like how you're singing to the sun it's like that feels like oh yeah that's possible to get there when i'm feeling amazing i want to sing to the birds mm-hmm. and you know what mm-hmm. all the stuff but mm-hmm. it's like how, how, while we're simultaneously holding the stuff that we're holding in our body, still say, yeah. and I'm, gra- I'm grateful in this moment. And how do I bless the things around me? I think that that has been the biggest, like, um, bridge that's been the most challenging for me and how my chemistry, at least I will speak for myself, has been to make where it's like, um, I, I feel bad, give. Mm-hmm. Bless. That's a that's mm-hmm. been a big jump and and a, and a challenging practice and peaks in more often now. But it's definitely not necessarily the first place I go. Mm-hmm. And that um, it's it's such an amazing thing to that you've brought up, you know. And and it's I think an important point, really important point, Allison, is that you know if somebody walks into my office and says, you know, I'm in an abusive relationship. Um, I'm struggling with addiction, uh, I'm super depressed. I would be the world's largest asshole if I turned around to them and said, you know, you just need to be grateful right now. Or, hey, why don't you do some blessing <laughs> right. for someone who's got way worse problems than you? You know, like, I mean, that's that's definitely not the application, the appropriate application of medicine. That's not medicine, that's poison in that moment, right? right? The The thing that breaks my heart is I don't think people know how beautiful they are and I don't think people know how amazing they are and I don't think that we're doing a very good job a lot of the time of being as present as we possibly can to our children, to each other, to to telling each other how incredible we are, you know? And Mm. part of, uh, like, this isn't just ego building, but it is, you know, filling in those... uh, almost like gaps that didn't get uh, attended to in our development as human beings where we were supposed to feel connected to each other, the trees, the animals, the water, you know. And that's, I mean, as we talked about in a previous episode, like this ground that we can spring from, then we can do the hard stuff, you know. Like mm-hmm. then we can, yes, yeah, stretch ourselves into that. But there is a certain amount of, of building that needs to happen. This is why, you know, again, I'll focus on hydration. I'll focus on, you know, herbal allies that can help tell, like inform that person's body. Like, hey, I love you. You know, I'm here for you, right? Because I don't think that people hear that enough, you know? We don't give it to other people enough. And it's, it's this constant cycle of like, well, I'm hurting, so I'm going to hurt you. And and then you're hurting, so you're going to hurt the next person, right? And it's, Fiona Apple has this beautiful 
the song on her new album and uh, one of the lines is like trauma is a relay race you know where you just you mm -hmm. pass your pain to the next person right and this is what we are doing all the time and what social media you know takes to like the the next crazy level right and so you know I don't think that always people should or could access certain tools, right? There is a certain amount of building that has to happen. I mean, with my teacher, you know, she would just, she told me how amazing I was for probably two or three years. Like she was just like, you're mm -hmm. incredible and tell me all about my gifts. And I had like the most amazing mother, you know, who just would tell me that I was incredible all the time. Like I know that that's my greatest privilege, not being white. It's having that mother, you know, and having somebody mm -hmm. who is so supportive of my gifts and abilities and stuff, right? But most people did not have that, right? And the, so yeah. there's the there's that lack of of ground in them, and so, you know, I think that that has to be built, just like you build, say, in a counseling therapeutic relationship, you build that sense of like, wow, you know, this your client thinks you you really like them, and you do, hopefully, you know, like you really you <laughs> right. want to tell them that like you care about them, right? Then, <laughs> it sounds terrible, but like somewhere around three years of studying with my teacher, it was like she pushed me off a cliff. And she just, all of a sudden, she was like, why are you so whiny? Get over yourself. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, holy shit. Like, what happened to, like, super nice fairy godmother like, lady? You, you know, like me? Seriously, you know totally. I am. <laughs> totally. Like, isn't that what you do for me, you know? <laughs> but I remember I was living with her for a while and I was so sick with Lyme disease. I was I was unable to like even function. I couldn't lift my head. And I was crying. I was I was like laying in her bed and I was crying and crying. And she was standing over me and she was like, look at me. I'm having a horrible day. You don't see me crying about this, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like basically like telling me that I was just being this like whiny pain in the ass. And I seriously, Allison, like I sat there and I was like, holy shit, what just happened here? You know, right. but the thing is, is that we can't just, you know, keep telling people they're wonderful and wonderful and wonderful and they will be motivated to do those hard things, you know, I, in the same way that like my mom told me all these beautiful things. And then sometimes she'd be like, um, if, you know, I was really afraid of people when I was a kid or just a lot of things. And so if I didn't order my food at a restaurant, she's like, you don't get to eat. You know, and I'd be like, what the fuck, lady? Like, who is that? You know, but like she'd push me. She'd push me off the right. cliff, right? Right. And that, like, it's, this is a, it's a pretty, I think it's a really interesting relational dynamic, you know, of, of how we show love. It's not how we show compassion. It's not always like telling a person they're wonderful and amazing. I mean, sometimes with my clients, I, a lot of the time I have to turn around and go, ah, I think actually you're being the jerk in this situation, you know, like mm -hmm. you, the other person is actually not at fault and, and I don't think it's appropriate for you to blame them, right? But I can't do that if that ground has not been built in a sense. Okay? Right. And so... This is, you know, the the ground building, I think, that's shamanic practice again and shamanic orientation can offer us is that human beings are pretty hard to reconnect with when we're in that trauma state, right? Our brain says humans are not safe and we actually will rally against intimacy tooth and nail, you know, when we've mm -hmm. had trauma like that. But 
I mean, indigenous ways of healing and knowing are you go to the earth, you go to the water, you go to the trees to get reinformed that you are sacred and supposed to be here and loved and and that builds you up you know or you work with herbal allies or minerals or whatever to help support the body so that then you can maybe start to relate more to other people Mm -hmm. can i can i ask you a question about medicine and, and and what is good medicine what is medicine um when you talk about your teacher seeing you in the bed like riddled with Lyme disease or whatever it was, you know, you were experiencing. Yeah. And she was like, well, you know, like <laughs> you're whining. That was medicine. Can you share why you think, like why that was medicine? It's like, you did need that in the moment, but like, what did mm-hmm. that mean for you? It... <laughs> First, it made me so mad at her that I wanted to prove her wrong. So I got out of bed. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, fuck you, lady. You can't tell me that I'm a whiner, you know? And and I got out of bed. And it was amazing. And I, like... It, it really spurred me on. I mean, it definitely, like, I stormed around her house for a while to being like, blah, blah, blah. I've seen you when you have a bad day. You lay in bed and cry. You know, like, it was just, I was just being yeah. a pissant about the whole thing, you know. But um, the the appropriate, the, the effective application of medicine when it is bitter. And mm-hmm. medicine is often bitter, right? I mean... Again, Western medicine's uh, conceptualization and sort of framing of what healing looks like is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to suffer. Right. You take don't have pill, to it goes take away. this pill. You'll be fine. Right. And we're all conditioned into it. That, you know, that, that, that part of our psyche, a part of our, our being that wants the easy, pain-free way is like, yes. Like, oh, my God, I totally want this. Right. And we make a deal with the devil when we choose that way of living in in life because what we relinquish is meaning. We relinquish the other part of our divine human selves, which is like the highest expression of us as human beings, our our creativity, our self-expression, our meaning. It can't happen at the same time as we keep choosing the path that is just easy and pain-free, right? Mm -hmm. So medicine is going to be bitter, right? And it's, it's, you know, this has been my... What now? 11 year journey of learning how to be, and it will be the rest of my life, how to be a good medicine practitioner who gives sweet medicine sometimes and bitter medicine other times, but never does it with judgment. In, and judgment is different than criticism. Okay, we can offer criticism of behavior, which can sound like, like my teacher being like, come on, like get out of here, stop being like this. She wasn't judging me. She loved me. Like, I knew that, that she really cared deeply about me. She did not want me to lay in that bed. And it was not good for me. And when I was sick with Lyme disease, she would say over and over and over again, you do not get attached to your disease. And it was it was not that she was judging me and saying that and, like, trying to, you know, be harsh. She was really scared, I think. Or, and I don't know if she was actually scared, but she was concerned and knew that that would be a bad path for me to go down going woe is me I have Lyme disease I'm sick forever I can't get out of bed I mean I have clients I've had clients who they've spent 10 years doing that right going I can't heal from this and she I know the concern in that and and I mean when I work with people when I'm feeding them bitter medicine like it's I ask for my guides for spirit to inform it with this quality of like it is not, this is a criticism of your behavior and what's going on, 
but the ultimate intention is for you to hopefully move in a direction that is that is healing for you, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I had a client on the phone this past week who I called her, I called her out on something that she was doing. And it was like, it's like three minutes of silence. And I was like, do you want me to go now? And she's like, <laughs> no, I'm just really mad. And I was like, great. That is the most yeah. fertile ground in medicine is where we have opened stuff up. And, and you know, it, it is going to be provocative. It is going to be uncomfortable, right? It's not... It's not the, the you know, pablum, easy version that Western medicine sells us. That is not healing. That is just symptom management. And it ultimately negates a person's connection to their own soul and the soul of the world. And that is not shamanic practice. So, but it's, it's difficult, right? Should we pull a card, though, before we go? Oh, all right. Hey, let's pull a card. Hey, so I haven't told you this yet, Allison. I am uh, reissuing the deck. I'm almost sold out of the first edition. Yes, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so anyone who has the deck, if you're listening, please make sure that you are signed up on uh, the knowing.ca on, for the newsletter because when I reissue the deck in the new year, uh, it will have two new cards. Now, I thought I was just going to do one, but <gasps> well, uh, it's what well, I shouldn't say two new cards. The the Trump card will be no longer part of the deck because I think oh. that it's time to actually release our uh, relationship with that um, entity. I, it was meaningful <laughs> at a time, you know, but I think to to have a little more staying power as a deck, you know, is is we're going to, yeah. I'm going to issue it with a different card. So anyone who has the deck, you'll be able to just buy these debt or the cards for a nominal amount on the website and I'll be shipping those out in the new year. So I'm really excited to put together a new version of it. I don't know what's going to replace that card. Uh, I know. I <laughs> it's who could that, replace though. that card. But I'm like, I'm just going to put years. a mirror. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? Oh my God. Maybe I just like made the best you idea. Should. I hadn't even thought of that. That would be All pretty the cards cool. Are just hey? reflected back, like mirrors. Yeah, back totally, at you. totally. Oh my God. You're the problem. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, this is all you need to know. I pulled this card before, but it's coming up again. Frog plantain. It's a special card. Yeah, I I love frog. Mm -hmm. I have to say that um, I have a sweet space for frog because my mom used to be able to do this thing when I was a kid where I swear to you, she could turn her face into a frog. And what? it is the it is the most hysterical thing you will ever see that in your life. Bizarre. And I don't know how she does it, but it's like the yeah. bones in her face disappear. She spreads her mouth and she like sticks her tongue out <laughs> like a frog, but she looks just like a frog. So there's just part of me that I'm like, I, I, I will never That's not super picture awesome. that first when, but that is clearly yeah. not the meaning of this card. So <laughs> uh, it's... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have always, frog is, is one of my very important medicine um, supports and and one that I work with a lot with people who are very sensitive, right? I mean, a frog is, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of barrier between it and the rest of the world and hence why our frog species around the world are going extinct, right? Because they can't handle the mm. chemical and toxic load of what we're dumping into the environment and they they don't have barriers right and 
when this one comes up for people, when people pull this card, when I pull this card, you know, I've had really um, significant experiences of realizing that I was going through, I say, a situation. Actually, I'll, I'll explain what was happening. I was moving. We were moving out of a house um, a year and a half ago, I guess now. Um, a house that was, you know, a rental house. It was nothing amazing, but I'd been there for four or five years. And as we were, you know, packing up and stuff, I could feel myself just getting irritated and frustrated and kind of just agitated about stuff. And of course, because I'm sometimes a really awful human, I was taking it out on my husband, which is often what I tend to do, you know, and I was like complaining <laughs> about so what easy. he was doing and, oh my God, he was right there. You know, I was like, hey, yeah. you can take my shit. Um, so I was doing this, you know, and then I pulled this card and and it really... It was like this beautiful, like, jolt to the head, you know, of like, okay, there's a sadness, in, there's a sensitivity in you that you are protecting. I mean, anger, irritation, that, that shows up as our great protector in, in relationships. Mm. And and so to pause and actually recognize, like, whoa, I am deeply sad, you know, and then I wasn't horrible to him, you know, and, and I, I was able to, to offer myself a balm, which is also, you know, plantain. And there's this funny... Um, Plantain is a, a, a kind of demulcent herb, like you can put it on burns and irritation and rashes and stuff, and it's just soothing. It's a beautiful plant. But the indigenous people would call it white man's footprint, um, mm. and because it wasn't on the continent until white people showed up, and wherever white people went, it would just, like, follow them, basically. And right. so the native people were like, what is this plant trying to do, you know? And And I think that, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the sadness that we come into contact with when we go in ourselves. White people, colonial society, European society had so much sadness, so much trauma, so much wounding, didn't deal with it, took it all over the world, spread it, you know, everywhere, and inflicted those wounds upon everyone they came into contact with. And I think the intelligence of the plant, you know, was like, hey, <laughs> I'm here. If you want to stop and actually, like, attend to your wounds, I'm going to be the balm for you here. And I, I I mean, every time I walk out of our house in the summer, there's plantain all the way around the front steps, you know. And it's it's such a beautiful thing to have there and, and to know that the plant, uh, this is what I believe, is the plant is there trying to help us attend to this sadness. So maybe that's a, a useful teaching for people right now because I do think that we have a lot of grieving to do, right? Yeah. We do. And a lot of joy to practice too. Yes, and one of the things I love in the description in the book is that it's that sensitivity is a strength. And so I think yes. that it's like, you know, I, I feel like yeah. that's the thing that resonates with me most about Frog is that it's like here is this delicate, delicate creature but mm-hmm. it, it's not a weakness. It's a power to be able to take in everything around you. Yeah. And that, I mean, fits so beautifully into a kind of larger reconceptualization, as we were talking about before, but like of what power is. You know, often I think when people engage with like animal spirits and stuff, they they think, oh, the powerful ones are wolf and bear and, you know, like, and there mm-hmm. is a certain power to those apex predators, but, you know, I believe that the most powerful are actually mouse and rabbit and frog, the ones that have almost no defenses, and they are fearless. They still go out in the world every single day knowing that something's going to eat them, something's going to get them, 
And they they still do that, you know, like they're they're incredible. I mean, a, a wolf can protect itself. A wolf knows that it is kind of the top of the food chain, right? So mm-hmm. I think that engaging with this sensitivity and making space for our own sensitivity right now feels like a really important thing, you know, this equal uh, uh, eclipse season that we are moving through, right? There's a lot of stuff. You were mentioning this the other day. A lot of stuff coming up. There is a lot. Woo. <laughs> Game on. Keep going. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipnik people. Music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. <laughs>